0: Hey, you guys, welcome to episode 60. If you're listening in real time, happy Thursday. Thank you for your patience. I know that we usually release these on Tuesday, and this week was the Jewish New Year on Tuesday. So we're releasing this on Thursday. Also, same day as the newsletter goes out. So if you haven't already signed up, you can go in the show notes or my website, sign up for the mailing list, and this week and the next three weeks following this week, the newsletter and episodes will be dropping on the same day on Thursday. So episodes in the morning and newsletter in the afternoon slash evening. And then we go back to regular scheduled agenda in the middle of October. This episode is with Jennifer Diaz. I call her Jen. Jen is a certified mindset and success coach. So basically she's a business coach for women entrepreneurs and executives and What she does is use all of her training in psychology, positive psychology, and neuroplasticity to help high-performing women optimize their potential, just increase their overall fulfillment in life. You know, life and business, obviously, work is so intertwined. The way that she does that, in essence, this is a super boiled-down version is to shed light on any form of unconscious ways of thinking that might be holding a person back so that they can move forward and make a greater impact on the world. I absolutely love Jen's work. Besides for... It's super helpful as a woman entrepreneur to really look at my mindset and increase my fulfillment because... Obviously, the more I take care of myself, the more I can take care of you guys, plus have a good time doing it. But it's so, so deeply overlaps with the work that I do and the work that we're all doing together to heal your relationship with food, in essence, increase your overall fulfillment in life. Because ultimately, if we think about everything that we do we either make deliberate decisions or unconscious stuff holds us back from making deliberate decisions, whether that's in business, in relationships, with your relationship with food, with your mental wellness, all of that stuff. A lot of this happens underneath the surface. We're not even aware of it. And what Jen is saying is a lot of this stuff is we just have to make ourselves aware of it and work through them, of course, but ultimately, connecting better with ourselves and what holds us back, embracing every part of us, the good, the ugly, or what we've perceived to be as ugly, so that we can actually have a greater impact on the world. So, Jen and I together were talking sort of business and relationship with food simultaneously. We apply most of this to relationship with food. But I'm so excited to get her take on some of this because as much as we overlap, there's obviously a lot of nuance in her work. So I will just let Jen do the talking now. Thank you so much, Jen, for joining me today. I'm so excited to do this selfishly, but also to share it. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for being here.
1: Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. I'm just so excited to chat with you today.
0: Yeah. Well, to start us off, can you share
1: a little bit about who you are and the work you do? Yes, I'm Jennifer Diaz. I am a mindset and success coach for Ambitious Women Entrepreneurs. And basically what I do is I help women uncover unconscious stories that are running the show for them in their life and that are not quite letting them reach their potential or keeping them stuck uh, in terms of their goals and just the life they really wanna create for themselves and bringing those into the light and helping them change their narrative, change their beliefs and update them so they support who they want to be, the life they want to build, the business they want to build, so they can move forward and close the gap between what they want, where they see themselves and where they are right now, where they feel stuck or even frustrated to help them navigate that and allow them to grow. So that in a nutshell is is a roundabout way of what I'm saying what I do.
0: Yeah. I'd, you know, I'm the biggest fan of your work and it's, um, you know, it, it might be a question, maybe not so much after you explain your work, but it might be a question like, yeah. what is a mindset coach doing on an eating disorder recovery podcast? Right. But I think even just in what you said is the answer. Mm-hmm. People don't come to you or usually not when they're looking for a list of like, okay, Jen, can you give me five things to do in order to grow my business? It's right. usually people who have the list in front of them. They've yeah. done all the research and they're still yes. stuck. So it's like exactly. oh, what do I do?
1: That's where I come in best actually. Is when people have already they've taken all the courses, they've got all the knowledge of what they need to do. And so it's not a lack of knowledge, it's not a lack of instruction. It's a, I know what to do and I'm not doing it. I see what's possible and yet I'm staying stuck. I feel like I'm in my own way and I don't know why and I don't know how to shift out of that, which can be a really frustrating place for people to be in. And so I deal a lot with, and this stems from, you know, I used to be a health and wellness coach. That's where I started. And seeing people try to improve their life and improve their health and really struggling because what we did was we're focused on the behaviors only Mm -hmm. and we weren't really looking at why the behaviors existed in the first place. And when I, you know, started learning more about psychology and behavior change and, just more about the subconscious mind and the way it works. I was like, oh my gosh, we're missing the biggest piece. Like, this is like trying to swim upstream with a weighted <laughs> vest on. If we're only oh God, looking yeah. at our behaviors and we're totally going against these unconscious things at play, which are, you know, they talk about the iceberg um, mm-hmm. metaphor where you have the tip of the iceberg. That's just such a small part of it. And this unconsciousness is the majority of what's running the show. And so I began learning about that and just figuring out how can I help people really improve their life their I want them to thrive I want to thrive in my life selfishly I was looking at it from that <laughs> perspective too Don't and we all <laughs> uh, exactly and how can I help people really reach goals that are going to be fulfilling and exciting for them to experience and so when I started learning oh my gosh we have to stop just looking at the, the action and the outcome. And we really have to look at what is under the surface that is causing all of this in the first place. That way we can really start to see change and really start to move forward without feeling so much resistance, which will still feel some, but we're just able to move forward so much more smoothly by mm-hmm. doing that. And so yeah, that's what I do is look at under the surface. How are you, what's what's causing this in the first place? You know, let's take a root cause approach. You know, I don't Mm want to just look at a symptom and try to slap something on that and and manage it. We want to get to the root and understand Mm -hmm. why this behavior is here in the first place so that we can choose a different option if we need to. So you can move forward and feel really empowered and, and excited about where you're going in life.
0: Yeah. So in essence, you know, the actual... Maybe the iceberg piece is very different for the people that I work with, but it's pretty much the same process, especially sort of the process that they've gone through before they meet us in that the person that I work with potentially has gotten all the information. They know what they need to do. They have all the skill sheets and they just can't seem to get out of their way. So using this sort of approach of what's underneath the surface, what's the unconscious part that's basically driving the behavior instead of trying to figure out like, oh, what's one new idea that maybe will work and maybe won't. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like exhausting.
1: You know, it's interesting. And I work with a lot of women. And so a lot of the women I've worked with have experienced disordered eating or eating disorder in their past. And while they may have recovered from that particular thing, that struggle, what I see is they often transfer the same Mm. behaviors onto their work. And so while that in my mind is, uh, you know, less dangerous. Um, what, what, and good, that's when it's like, okay, this is a similar behavioral pattern. What I want to figure out is what's at the root of this, what's causing Mm -hmm. you to, you know, behave like this or feel like this and think like this in your work. And so I would imagine there is, there's overlap a little bit for sure in that Mm -hmm. way. And just, I'm so fascinated by the root cause, probably for a lot of myself too. I'm so curious, Like, why am I the way that I am? It's such an interesting question. Same, you know, for my clients, which is, is really beautiful. And you've probably experienced this too, but there's a lot of compassion underneath it. When we get there, it's terrifying. I was terrified to like dive in under the surface because it's dark, unknown, a little bit scary. But what I found with myself and a lot of my clients is there's so much compassion to be found underneath there.
0: Yeah, whereas perhaps now there's a lot of judgment
1: and we can really flip it on the head. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think the one thing that we both agree on that is so, so important for this process is the curiosity piece.
1: Yes, yeah, so I mean, love curiosity.
0: You have, yeah. be you have to be curious because once that judgment hat is on, then there is no questioning about why do I do this? Where does this come from? It, there's no compassionate inquiry. It's no, just sort of yeah. like shaming and judgmental. So if we yeah. can, you know, at least begin to be curious, that's mm-hmm. going to be the foundation of this entire process.
1: It is so much so, and I love that you brought that up because there's there's a vulnerability in being curious. Mm, totally, there, there's this like element of I have to admit I don't know, and that can be scary. Uncertainty. Many of us are very uncomfortable with uncertainty. When I don't know really, what you're
0: talking about, Jen. <laughs> right? I, I mean,
1: <laughs> some people, not yeah, I don't know them, <laughs> <laughs> right? But it's it's you know. I I used to crave, I want certainty, I want clarity, I want to know, because that feels like I have some semblance of control, which Mm -hmm. probably really don't in a lot of areas of life. And so understanding how can I be okay and accept the discomfort of the unknown, the uncertainty, and once we have the courage to embark on that, really opens us up to allow ourselves to be curious. About, I don't have to know the answer. I I continuously get to learn and get to explore. And that is what allows us to grow actually. And so it's really, really fruitful. And so now I enjoy, took me some time, a (laughs) lot of resistance, but now I enjoy being like, I don't know the answer to that question. That's such a good question. Let's try to figure it out. Let's look it up. Um it's just, it's a lot more, it's a much more fun way to live in my experience.
0: Yeah. And I mean, even if you're not interested in it being fun, it is way less stressful, a lot less pressure,
1: so much less pressure. Yeah. Cause you don't have to know the answer. You get to Mm -hmm. discover it and, and change with it sometimes too.
0: Yeah. So let's just say before we get to that place, you know, potentially people have not started on this or they're Mm -hmm. in the beginning. I think it's really important to talk about, I guess for lack of a term, like the darker side of oh, yeah. us, like the parts yeah. of us that we don't necessarily love. Mm-hmm. Because the parts of us that we're okay with or that we actually like, there's no problem there. Like just keep it as yeah. is, and just mm-hmm. you know, we don't we don't need to talk about them. <laughs> yes. Um but the parts that we don't necessarily like about ourselves, that we're ashamed of, um, yeah. you know, the the emotions that feel scary to feel. That is, you know, it's, it's scary to look at and it's probably other things to look at too. Yeah. I wonder if we can talk though, about how it's important Mm -hmm. that we look at the dark side, because we do have to ask questions about how it's beneficial to us. Mm -hmm. What is this trying to tell me? How is this serving a function? So maybe you can talk a little bit more about like that shadow stuff
1: yeah, I love talking about this because it's a little taboo and it's a little, mm-hmm. you know it's uncomfortable. We have a shadow side because we've we're taught, you know, mostly as children and through adolescence, that if you want to belong and be loved and be accepted, which is essential needs in order for us to survive, then you can't be certain things. So we mm-hmm. shove those down. We, you know shove down undesirable traits depending on what we were taught, right? And um, the danger of not looking at them is obviously projecting them onto other people and or acting out of them ourselves unknowingly in a very unconscious way because those darker attributes, they, they don't go away. And when we don't look at them, sometimes they get stronger and it really can help to look at, you know, a big one for me, with the women I work with is the idea of being selfish. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, And and
0: same for the people that I work with too. Yeah. There's like, I can't assert myself like that. That's selfish.
1: Yeah. I I can't be selfish. I've had a client say, you know, I was told I was bratty or I was spoiled. Mm. And so that results. in if you don't look at the dark side of that and don't own certain aspects of yourself that maybe are selfish, maybe are bratty, what happens is you completely shove your needs down. You don't Mm -hmm. ask for what you need. You try to assert other people above you all the time, people pleasing. What happens over time is, you know, for this particular client, she was lashing out at people. And she Mm -hmm. was like, I'll just lose my cool and I'll lash out. And I I don't know, understand why I do that. It's so frustrating. And, you know, for me, I'm like, well, what's it like when you ask for your needs to be met, when you need to be seen? I feel selfish. I feel like a brat. I'm not allowed to be Mm -hmm. that. But yet when she's not owning that she has needs as all human beings do, and you need them to be met, you're shoving them down and you're getting, they're going to explode eventually. And so what might happen if you look at that, what you thought was a shadow thing of being selfish and you owned a little bit of the fact that I'm a human being who has needs. And when I can verbalize this and get ahead of it, I don't feel the need to lash out anymore because my needs are being met and it's nothing about being selfish in there. It's about taking care of myself so I can show up better in my relationships. I know how to ask for this in a healthier way Mm -hmm. where I'm not lashing out so much. So that's one example of when I look at these things that I thought were so bad and my favorite way to tell people to get to know their, their shadow traits is what do you judge most in other people?
0: Yes, oh my, hands yes. down,
1: it's probably a shadow tray. And while, mm-hmm. yes, like I don't want to be a selfish person, that's not necessarily gonna make me a good human being, but we can find the gold in okay, but when I do prioritize my needs, I show up better and I'm actually able to take care of other people in a healthy way <laughs> and and not you know yeah. murder myself to receive love as a people pleaser. I'm able to have the energy to give generously mm-hmm. from an authentic place. And that feels really, really good in relationship with other people. And so that's, that's something to really sit down and look at. And it is not fun. Our ego no. does not mm-hmm. enjoy recognizing, oh, I, I have the potential to be that, that I judge in other people, but it results in a lot more compassion for yourself and compassion for others, which is just a little bit more of a freer way to live, I think.
0: Yeah, I love that you use this example because it's something that comes up so often in anybody who has a history of, you know, any form of disordered eating, yeah. especially in this sort of like yo-yo dieting cycle where it's like I can't have this, I can't mm. have beyond this time, um a lot of restriction, so denying their needs and then ultimately yeah. whether it's the night or in the evening or after the year or something, then it just sort of goes all the way to the other end and ends up in just some sort of like, what feels like overeating or what feels like a binge and, or maybe actually is. And it's just sort of like the version of the lashing out where this stuff isn't going away. It's just then playing out in your relationship with food. So it's in your best interest to actually look at this.
1: Oh my gosh, so much so. Yeah. And and that's such a good comparison. That example is because, like, it's not going away. Like you said, Mm -hmm. shoving it down, not paying attention to that need, denying yourself, it just makes it stronger so that at one point you're not in control anymore. It is because it's going to make itself known. Like, we have Mm -hmm. needs for a reason, mostly to survive. (laughs) And so, yes, (laughs) it's going to make itself known strongly because. I know on a subconscious level, its primary goal is survival. And in order, it's going to make sure we do that. And I hopefully, you know, to our benefit in a lot of ways and in other ways, when you start looking at, okay, now I've survived, I want to figure out how to thrive. Then we have to obviously work on some things, some survival techniques that might not be as healthy long-term. But yeah, yeah, it's going to make itself known. Those needs are there for a reason.
0: And even to take it one step further in terms of like the shadow or the dark side of of us, say, for example, we're still using this idea of, of, you know, being selfish or just having Mm -hmm. needs and not feeling okay to show them. Part of what I love about both of our works is that trying to look at that and what function does that serve? Like who told you that? And why do you need to not address any of your needs. Why do you have to pretend that you have no needs? Yeah. And like, what function is that serving? What relational yes. function? What's the history to that? Exactly. And then we can, that's what we're talking about in terms of like the root. Once you yeah. get this curious hat on, then all these questions just start coming.
1: Exactly. The example I gave earlier about the client who's selfish. Um. She was taught by parental figures that... You know, if she had any kind of emotion that was expressed, they were uncomfortable with that. So, mm. you know, zip it, get it together, don't express yeah. that, don't show that. So, because they were not comfortable with their own, obviously. <laughs> and so she kind of picked up this idea if I want to belong with my parents, who I need to belong with, we rely on them for survival, um, then I cannot show emotion. And I can't really show that I have these specific needs because they call me bratty and spoiled when I express that I need these things met. So I've got to repress in order to make them happy with me and to receive love from them so that I belong and I can survive it. And I'm, and I'm safe. And we get to adulthood and we're still, we learn to treat ourselves that way. And then we're bumping up against, you know, what feels like a, invisible wall. And we're like, why am I self-sabotaging this way? Why am I so frustrated? Why, why do I do the things that I do? And so, yeah, it's really powerful to connect those dots and be like, Oh, not to, not to blame, you know, our yeah, caretakers no. at all, but to just understand where this might come from, because, well, you know, it's not our fault that some of this happens. It is our responsibility to take ownership now and decide how to, to shift out of that in a healthier way. Exactly.
0: I think that we can, it's so tricky. We can get caught in this trap of like, well, then it's my parents' fault. Or (laughs) it may be coming from the other side. And this has happened so many times where people are very hesitant to do some of this work because they love their parents and they had a great, childhood or yes. you know not even parents they're friends they're so appreciative for the experiences that they've had yes. and this almost feels like they're pointing fingers
1: yeah it's almost and, like a, it feels like a betrayal mm-hmm. and, and it can be really really hard to do and really scary to do and what I try to tell them is you know at the the end goal of this is to better the relationship with them if you can. Mm-hmm. Yeah and to to have a more mature and again compassionate. That's just like a theme for me, I guess. Um, like I know for me, this work, I felt like that. I had a great upbringing. I have great parents who love me very well. Are they perfect? No, they would tell you that too. And when I started doing my own work, I was like, no, 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 they were great. Nothing was wrong. And it stopped me from actually being able to move forward. And when I recognized, you know, certain things, and finally, kind of came to like, okay. They were wonderful and I didn't have these certain needs met and it allowed me to see my parents as human beings and which allowed me to be like, Hey, they did the best they could. And I'm so grateful that they were my parents. And now I understand how to meet the needs that they couldn't meet because I can meet them now and I'm able to actually love them better. I'm able to communicate with them better and I have a lot more compassion for them as human beings. And so, you know, that's a journey to get to, uh, for sure. But that's in my mind, I feel like that's comforting that we're not trying to make you hate your parents <laughs> or to totally put a stain on this childhood that you thought was really amazing. It can be amazing and, uh, mm-hmm. also not ideal at times. And so there's, there's duality, you know, we have the Yeah. I love that that you bring up that
0: word because I think part of, and this is like sort of an unspoken goal, but part of this journey is to, to get a person to a place that they can hold a couple of different ways of thinking Mm -hmm. about a person and an experience and an interaction in one mind, which can be so wildly uncomfortable to feel resentful and grateful at the same, how does that even work? You know,
1: (gasps) That's a great question I don't know I think that <laughs> I think that I mean humans are we're so dynamic and different and there's so many parts of us I know for me like self-actualization is important I want to get to know myself and understand myself but I I don't fully understand all parts of me so mm. I can't really expect myself to understand all parts of anyone else and so I think by personally me looking at myself and be like I don't know wow there's a lot of parts of myself and they all fit. There's a reason for all of them. I'm able to look at humans and the people in my life and kind of see them that way too. I know uh, I've talked about this with my own therapist lately about uh, how humans are can be disappointing.
0: Oh my God, yeah.
1: I can be disappointing. It doesn't yeah. make me wrong. It just mm-hmm. means I've disappointed somebody. And that to me has been such a... a Big light bulb moment for me is to be like, I was disappointed in this friend. It doesn't mean she needs to change anything. It just means that I'm disappointed and I still love her and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And so there's almost yeah. this like level of acceptance. And sometimes my, I'm disappointed in my husband. I love him. He's my favorite person in the entire world. And sometimes I disappoint him. So there's almost this like, oh, that's love. Like to be able mm-hmm. to be human, make mistakes, be disappointing and to still belong and be loved. That it's, it's a, we're talked about, you know, take the pressure off. That is what that feels like for me is I don't want to be disappointing, mm-hmm. never on purpose, but the fact that I can be, and people are still going to love me good because I'm probably going to disappoint them at some point and vice versa.
0: Yeah. I love that word uh acceptance because ultimately all of these sort of negative things that we feel, or we experience and negative, I use pretty loosely, sure. is something that we just need to be able to tolerate because mm. we need to be able to take as much information, again, going back to the curiosity from all yeah. of these experiences, but if it feels intolerable, say disappointments a really big one. Like, yeah. I just don't know how to feel the feeling of disappointment. Yeah. Ultimately, then we do everything in our power to avoid that feeling. So um. that could be like, let's say for an entrepreneur, something like, not taking steps to doing something that might feel risky because you might feel disappointed or yeah. somebody, even in their therapeutic journey, like not really putting their best foot forward because they might be disappointed if they actually tried and then failed.
1: Oh, that you know. part. Yes. Right. <laughs> that part. Yeah. If I actually show them who I am, if I actually try and then I fail, what does that say about me? Mm-hmm. That's the biggest fear we have. And so I see this play out a lot. I just had this conversation today with a client of a lot of times we, we halfway do things we halfway try because then at least there's an excuse for why we might've failed. Whereas Mm -hmm. if we fully try and then we fail, or we fully try something and then we're rejected, it's a whole different level of fear that's at play. And that it's just, I mean, I don't know. It's a, that's a tough thing to to look at and to, to accept, but Mm -hmm. what's the other alternative in Mm -hmm. never fully trying and then always wondering what if, and I think for me, I'm looking at this as, you know, one of those options halfway trying is placating my current self, my today self, making her more comfortable. Fully trying is prioritizing my future self and Mm -hmm. what I really want out of life. And it takes discipline, but there's a part of me that's like, show up for your future self today. She will be so grateful. Like that's, yeah. we have to look at that. Um, and I've been talking about that, and you probably know about this, but the three emotional regulation systems, I think they're called three emotional motivations. It's threat, drive, and soothe. Mm-hmm. And we've been been talking about that a decent amount and figuring out, you know, threat is the fight or flight negativity bias. How do I stay safe in the, like right now drive is the future. Like what motivates me? What's my why? What do I really want to experience in life? And then is so this being able to take care of yourself, make yourself feel comfortable and safe, especially when you're in threat. And ideally, all three of those would be just as strong as each other. But what happens mm-hmm. is a lot of times our threat system is, is very, very strong and very activated. Drive system's pretty good too sometimes. And soothe is just, you know, we utilize um, self-sabotaging strategies to soothe, distraction, many um, right. different things to soothe. And so a lot of what I work with, because we do need to be able to feel safe in order to grow and expand. Mm-hmm. And so for me, when I'm thinking about, all right, I want to be able to focus on the drive, on the future self, How do, what do I need to do to show up for myself in order to feel safe enough to expand, to take a risk and, and, and step out. And so that's something I've been thinking a lot about lately.
0: Yeah. And we thinking about the example that we've been talking about, like the assertiveness, not, you know, not using any other form of communication, like, uh, I don't know, dieting or something in order to Mm -hmm. disavow our needs, but really communicating with our language, our verbal language. Yeah. That the more we can do this, obviously the better, but that if it feels so entirely unsafe to go to your boss and say like, mm-hmm. Hey, these are the three things that need to change. Then maybe we can try a smaller way that yes. feels challenging, but not as threatening. And this way we can yeah. sort of build up our tolerance.
1: I love that because I think a lot of people get stuck and they give the the extreme examples Mm -hmm. They're like that example, like I need to tell my boss that this is not okay. This is crossing boundaries. It's really wearing me out. I don't have it. And they immediately go to this like dramatic confrontation that is absolutely terrifying And Mm -hmm. instead, well, maybe let's brainstorm some ways that feel a little bit like not, you're probably going to have some fear and there's going to be some risk involved, but maybe that aren't so big. You're not like jumping in the deep end all of a sudden, let's like wade into the shallow end and see what feels doable.
0: Yeah. I love that. So knowing all of this, there's Mm -hmm. obviously a lot of importance on the curiosity to put the judgment aside, be compassionate. But yeah. when we're at the beginning of this or really at any stage, how can we begin to look at things differently? How can we start to look at what motivates us? How can we, you know, let's just say like, we just
1: don't know, even know where to start. What, what yeah. would you say to do? I, I think back to where I started. And I finally got frustrated enough. And the first place I started was just trying to become aware of the way that I spoke to myself and the thoughts that I had consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just for me, talking about curiosity is really taking inventory. I yeah. was not trying to judge myself, but I would literally like write down when a thought would pop in to my head, I would be like, okay, that was, where did that come from? So I would just start taking inventory and just start becoming a little bit more aware of what's going on and, uh, recognizing I'm not my thoughts. I'm not these things. They're just, they're there, they're happening. And I get to decide what to do with them. And so part of me, when I did that, I was becoming aware of that. I started journaling on them and really getting curious about where did that thought come from? Or if I had a strong feeling about something like today, I feel worthless. I am really frustrated with myself. I've had my own body image issues and disorder eating past too. And so looking at why do I feel this way about, you know, my body, about the, my behaviors, I would just start kind of interviewing them in a way Mm -hmm. like, all right, I feel worthless. Okay. Well, let me ask, where are you coming from? What do you have, you know, to tell me? And it's just really getting curious about my thoughts and my emotions because, and this really didn't start until after I Became a coach and I realized, oh, emotions are data. Our emotions, all of them, even the not so fun ones to experience, have really valuable information that can help me understand myself better and understand how to love myself and honestly, like, take care of myself, meet my needs better. So I want to get to know these emotions. I'm angry today. Okay, anger. Why are you here? What do you want me to know? where did you come from? What's your purpose? Mm -hmm. What, what do you need from me? And it sounds, I know when I first heard of this, I was like, that's so stupid. Um, (laughs) but it's really powerful. Like when you're just journaling like that, like pretty rapid fire, you're not overthinking it. You're not judging it. I was blown away at the information I gathered from those exercises. And so that's where I was like, oh, wow, I, okay, that's why I feel this way. Now I know what to do about that. I know how to take action, um, in order to, to better meet the needs that are, are not being met. I've also done, I I do something now called the Java method, which is just for simple exercises that have made the biggest difference for me. And I usually do them in the morning with a cup of coffee. So it uh, <laughs> Little on the nose with that. But um, but yeah, I do journaling with whatever's coming up for me that day. Could be good, could be not so fun. And then um affirmation, speaking the new story out loud, or even if I need to I have needs that I need to meet today, speaking that out loud. We're so much more likely to follow through when we say things out loud. Mm-hmm. Our not that we actually the...
0: believe them just yet, but just saying them is gonna be right.
1: powerful. Well, right, exactly, because sometimes, you know, our our beliefs and our subconscious mind loves to keep what we believe about ourselves, what we say about ourselves and what we do congruent. So sometimes when we say something and we don't quite believe it, it feels incredibly uncomfortable. I've had mm-hmm. clients, they're like, I'm just lying to myself. And I'm like, well, there are many truths that could be <laughs> real at once. And so right now it feels that way, but, and I tried to Ideally, find one that doesn't feel so off-putting. Let's yeah. kind of well, like I think start that in is the, the shallow key. end. Yeah, start in the shallow end. What's what's a better story that you can you know latch onto more easily rather than something mm-hmm. that feels so out of touch right now? But speaking them out loud. And that looks like, you know for me, even if I have a big goal or something that's scary for me, I'll talk myself through it. I'm going to show up today and I'm going to feel confident. I'm going to be present. I'm going to do my best with this. I'm going to take care of myself in this way. I've been doing that with my morning routine, which does include, um, I'm going to wake up. I'm going to take the dogs on a walk. I'm going to journal and meditate. I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat a really nourishing breakfast so that I can be focused and present for the day. Like I'll say those things out loud so that Mm -hmm. doing them feels a little bit just more natural for me. Um, and so that's the talking to yourself
0: doesn't make you crazy. It actually helps solidify all of this stuff.
1: I just read, oh man, I wish I remembered it perfectly, but I just read that talking to yourself out loud can increase your adherence to following through with the plan Mm. and also increase your levels of self-confidence. Look at that. I was like, "Huh, I'm not crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So all of you who are just like us and look in the
0: mirror and give yourself pep talks, keep doing
1: it. <laughs> exactly. You were to something. I know I read that to my husband because a lot of times he's like, Jen, who are you talking to? And I'm like, Oh, I didn't know he was here and can hear me. It's fine. Just me. Don't worry about it. So now I feel very justified and I will not be as shy mm-hmm. about it. Um, but yeah. <laughs> and then, um, the V in Java stands for visualization. This practice for me is one of my favorites just because I'm a very visual person. Um, you know, meditation is feels really grounding for me. And it's just a chance for me to go in and really prep for my day. It's like a mental warm up for the actions that I need to take that I might feel resistance against, um, might be a little scared to do. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I learned how to do that. I know a lot of athletes are really big into visualization because it helps them perform so much better And so that's where I first learned about it and then started applying it to just my overall life. And it's such a centering way for me to start the day, which has been really nice. And one of my favorite ways, that's a great way to also create new neural pathways in your brain so that Mm -hmm. you can start creating new beliefs about yourself and new patterns uh and habits. So that's the v and then the a is obviously the action piece, you know, in order to really make changes, we have to show up. We have to do the things that are new, a little uncomfortable, maybe even a little scary and risky um that help us to move forward and I always love with the action setting myself up for success. I used to before I knew more about this and how our minds work. Well, um I would set such big goals like, oh, I'm going to change my entire life this week. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. I'm so motivated, but motivation. Yeah, I'm so going to cool. organize my entire house <laughs> yes. in one week. <laughs> in one week, it's going to be great, easy. And like our motivation starts off great and strong. And then by Wednesday, we're like, who ever decided to do this? Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I always like to say, you know, I want to be 70% confident about the actions I've set. I want to, Oh, I, wanna, I like that. I want them to stretch me a little bit. I don't want Mm -hmm. them to be too easy, but I want them to be doable enough. Like I hit, we -hmm. hit that state of flow because if they're too easy, we get bored. If they're too hard, we get overwhelmed and stressed. And so Mm -hmm. I'm really shooting for that 70% with my actions um, and goals throughout the week. And so that's, that's kind of the tangible ways I've started shifting Mm -hmm. things for myself on a mental, in a mental way. Mm -hmm.
0: I love the action piece. I know I've said this to you before, but a lot of this can yeah. stay, especially when we're very logical, intellectual people, yeah. we can talk about this all day. <laughs> all and then day. it's like, what do you mean? I I journaled, mm. I, I did the affirmation, I did the visualization. I, I listened to the podcast. I mm-hmm. did all of it. I ticked off mm-hmm. so many things on my list but why is nothing happening? Um, and I think what's so important is, is the biggest difference is to actually take the plunge and, you know, say the biggest challenge is, uh, I'm going to stop restricting forever. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I am, you know, going to challenge myself with whatever feels big and the end goal. That's very nice. But for today, what's feasible for this week? What's the challenge and and figuring out what that is, Mm -hmm. is going to be the really important piece. Because like you said, if it's too easy, it's like, okay, whatever. You don't take this seriously. If it's too hard, then we end up back in that spiral of, I can't do this. This is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, therapy not even working. I'm just going to drop out. This is not for me. Right. I'm um, a failure. I mean, like the list can go on and on yeah. and then you are a hundred percent not going to come back the next
1: day. Right. And I, you know, that's such an important piece to know. I think, you know, for me, like I only do the internal work to help me show up and take action. Like when we think that just, I mean, it's important in and of itself, but when we think just sitting there journaling, thinking nice thoughts about ourselves and our futures is gonna cut it, we're gonna be very, very disappointed with how our lives turn out. So for me, when I start looking at that as this is a warm-up, the main event mm-hmm. is showing up each day and taking action. And what you said about I think a lot of times we we romanticize big Transformational moments, once in a lifetime opportunities, when in reality, it's more about the small steps we take each day that build on each other over consistency over time. And that is what changes our life. That is what really, that's how we grow. And that's really sustainable growth too. Because when people try to do too much at once, you know, our brains love to conserve energy again with survival. It's like, how can we do the least and get through the day, Um, which is great to keep us alive, but not so fun when we're trying to make changes because that requires our brains literally have to work harder. We literally burn more calories when we're trying to change our life just from brain power. And Mm -hmm. so when we take that into account, it's like, how can I make this uh, small enough and big enough, impactful enough that I stick with it over the long haul? And, and yeah. you know, a year from now, I look like, wow, I've really done it. But maybe in the days, it feels a little insignificant, but it's, it's just not.
0: Mm-hmm. But I think also the significance in a lot of this is that when we have these big lofty goals as our you know, as our sort of daily goals, Mm -hmm. then it puts everything into this sort of like, I guess, pressure that everything is riding on this thing. So like, say, for example, um, when I make X amount of money, when I get to this body, lose this weight, um, which ultimately is like, you know, a big driving force of anyone's disordered eating. Sure. But, you know, when or or even if we think about it in sort of like recovery therapy-oriented ways of thinking about, it, okay, so fine, I'm not gonna have that body. But when mm-hmm. I live in a recovered lifestyle, like then everything's mm-hmm. gonna be all peachy and amazing. Mm-hmm. And what we neglect to realize is that when we put an emphasis on a major goal like that, then we're waiting for yeah. like this magical moment that everything is going to change. And it's not,
1: it's it just not. It doesn't. It's just, it's a uh, freeing and also hard to hear. Yeah. I think in, in my experience, it's, it's like, oh, so that won't fix everything and nothing will. And mm-hmm. I deal with this a lot, you know, in my work looking at when I make this amount of money, when I reach this level of success and saying, when I look like this, then all these problems will go away and we really miss out on enjoying life, enjoying um, in my in my example of, of success enjoying the process of that kind of growth. Um, you forebode a lot of joy now and then I've had clients who have reached the their ultimate level of success and they come back and they're like, I feel depressed. I feel really disappointed. I'm angry. And Mm -hmm. I feel misled. And I'm like, yeah. "Yeah." And instead of being like, wow, I really did that. I'm really proud of myself. That felt so good. So it totally, you know, negates the, the growth and the progress and the effort, which is, you know, not what we want. And so that's where it's looking at why do you want what you want? What do you really want? Like, what are you really searching for in your goals? And how can you give that to yourself now? while you move towards, you know, the next, the next phase, the next goal that you have. And so it's just, you know, I'm, that's always what I'm curious about is the why, what are you really after? What do you really want Mm -hmm. in life? What do you think that dream body would actually give you? And is there a need that you actually could meet today in the body that you have now? Probably so.
0: I love that question. I think the answer is going to be different, obviously for everybody, Yeah. but that is a question that I encourage everyone to ask themselves because there is something that you can do today to give yourself, even if it's just a tiny bit of it, to mm-hmm. give yourself a version of it. Yeah. And then you continue to build on that. And I think that that's, you know, sort of brings the, I guess for lack of a better term, the control. Or at least the agency back in our hands, mm-hmm. which is terrifying and gratifying yeah. and freeing at the same time.
1: Exactly. It's really empowering. It's I think realizing we have to take ownership over our life circumstances as much as it can is a little bit like, oh gosh. And then okay, I this is up to me. I'm empowered by this, which is is yeah. nice. And one thing you said I love about like the putting the pressure on like the big. Things like only making like big changes count. Our minds have a really hard time staying motivated when we're focused on something that is so far away from our current reality that we end up getting overwhelmed and more frustrated than when you can look at, you know, someone explain this to me. Like you're at a staircase and you're focused on 20 flights up, and because you're not looking at where you are and the next few steps you can take, you're like, I have no idea how to get up there. When right in front of you is the first like three steps of the staircase you're in front of. And so again, looking at, okay, that's where I ultimately would like to be cool. These are the first few steps that I can take to get there. And that feels doable. I'm motivated to move forward and make these smaller changes so that I can get to the ultimate goal that I'm like reaching for. I love that. Uh, well, thank you so
0: much, Jen, for taking the time and for sharing all of your words of wisdom before I let you go. Can you share with our listeners where they can find you and perhaps more about what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me, my website is jenniferdiaz.com. Um, my favorite thing that I do is the Monday mindset newsletter where every Monday night I send mm. um, hopefully something inspirational and thought-provoking. Um, I look forward to it and, every single week. It's amazing. Well, thank you. That means a lot. And then I share journal prompts. You can journal on for the week and affirmations um, to go along with that. And then if you're interested in learning more about the Java Method and how you could apply that in your life, you can go to the JavaMethod.com and read more about what that's about. And then if you want to find me on Instagram, I'm Jen M. Diaz, and I'd love to connect with you there. Thank you again. Thank you.
0: You made it to the end. Thank you for listening. Every single one of your downloads means so much to me. If this conversation is leaving you wanting more, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. You'll have the opportunity to reply back directly to me over there. Can't wait to see you in your inbox.